You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. We're going to be learning Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the second and last piece in Hilchus Naira Basula. This is Parak Bey's Halacha Yud Gimel. The uh, case that the Rambam is talking about is where there's a dispute between a man and a woman over whether he was Ma'anis her, he forcibly came on her, or he was Mefateh her, he seduced her. And the difference is that when it comes to Ones, there are four things he has to pay. He has to pay a fine, he has to pay Boshas, the embarrassment, he has to pay the Pegam, the damage he caused, and he has to pay the tsa'ar, the pain. Whereas when it comes to mefateh, he only has to pay three of those because he doesn't have to pay for tsa'ar, he doesn't have to pay for pain since she came willingly. So if there's a dispute, the Rambam says that it would fall under the category of modeb miktsas, which means when it comes to vows, to shvuos, if someone demands a hundred and the other person says, no, I only owe you fifty, so the halach is that they have to make a shvua of modeb miktsas once they admit that they owe a little bit of it, they have to make a vow that they don't owe the whole thing. So the Rambam writes, She says, you were ma'anis, you forced me. And he says, no, I was a mefate, I seduced you. So she's demanding the four things and he's only admitting that he owes three. Now, in this case, because he's admitting what he did, so he's actually not going to pay the knas. You don't pay a fine when you admit. That's a general principle. So he's really only admitting that he owes the boshas and the pegam. So the Rambam says, He has to make a shvua de oraisa, that he does not owe her the tsar money, which they're disputing. And then he does pay the boshas and the pegam. And the reason is, He did admit to half of the demand. So this is a case of a shvua when you admit to half, you have to make a shvua on the rest. Now, the Ravid questions this psak of the Rambam, and he basically says that there's two different people in this situation. The father is the one who's actually going to get the money because this girl, any girl that's getting these payments, is not out of her father's authority. So the father gets the money, but she is the one that's having this dispute and saying that he was ma'anis. So in this case, it's not really a motive emiktas because the person getting the money that he admitted to is not the person who's making the demand. Ravid writes, Ein kan toveya, this is not the person who's demanding, because she doesn't get the money. It's like a case where someone would say, you owe my father money. So that's not a motive in Mikzas. Says the Ravid, if the father himself would show up in the court and have this fight with him, then maybe the Rambam's halacha would apply. So that's one formulation of the Ravid's question. The Kesef Mishnah quotes that there was another variation, there was another version of this Ravid's question, and that was a little bit sharper. The Ravid said that Tsar, says the Ravid, in this second formulation, always belongs to the daughter, even though the father gets the other things, the boshas, the pgam, and the knas, but the tsar always goes to her. So that's why it's not a mode of because when the man admitted that he owes the boshas and the pgam, that goes to the father, but the tsar, which they're still disputing, goes to her. So he's not admitting that he owes half of what any one person demanded, because when it comes to the father's stuff, the boshas and the pgam, he admitted fully. 
and when it comes to the daughters, the tsar, he totally denied it. So there is no motive in to any one person. So according to the second formulation, the Ravid's not distinguishing between whether the father or the daughter shows up in court, and he's not just saying that the father gets the money, whereas the daughter made the demand. He's saying that in general, the tsar goes to the girl herself, whereas the boshes, pagam, and knas go to the father. So here the guy's only admitting to boshes and pagam because he says that he was a mefata, so therefore he's not admitting in any way to owing the girl any money. Now, as an aside, Rav Chaim doesn't quote it, but the Kesef Mishnah raises the issue that this position of the Ravid seems to go against the simple reading of the Mishnah that the father gets everything, the Boshas, Pagam, the Knas, and the Tsar, and that Rashi says that, the Rambam says that, so he wonders if this really could be the Shitas HaRavid, that the girl gets the Tsar, even though she's not out of her father's authority. Either way, back to Rav Chaim, the Kesef Mishnah has an answer to whichever version of the Ravid we have, and that is the Kesef Mishnah says that even though she wouldn't get the money, since her father gets the money because of her, it's really owed to the daughter. The father just collects it on her behalf. So that's still considered a modeb emiktza. So that's the Kesev Mishnah's interpretation of the Rambam, that it doesn't matter who practically gets the money. It matters who's owed the money. And that everyone agrees that the girl earns the money in this case. It's just that the father gets it. So says Rav Chaim that according to the Kesev Mishnah, the reading of the Machlokas between the Rambam and the Ravid is that they're arguing about how do we define a modeb emiktza? Do we view it as practical? Is this person getting half of the money that they demanded? That's the Ravid's position. If they're not getting half the money in their hands, then we can't view them as a motive emiktza. So in this case where it's split, that the girl makes the demands and the father gets the money, or the girl is getting the tsar and the father is getting the boshas and the pagam, so we can't view it as a motive emiktza. But the Rambam says it doesn't matter practically who gets it. It matters why they're getting the money. And in this case, whether the father gets it or whether the daughter gets it, gets the Tsar and he gets the Boshas and Pagam, it's clear that in all cases he's only getting this money because of her. So therefore, if the man admits broadly that he owes half the money and he denies half the money, it would be considered a motive emixus because with regard to what's owed to the daughter, he was motive emixus and that, according to the Rambam, necessitates a shvua. Reb Chaim's terminology for this distinction is do we follow the davar hamechayev, the thing which obligated this payment, so that would be the daughter in all cases, or do we follow the where he has to pay the payment. So that's a bit more complicated involving the father and the daughter. So in English, it would be a distinction between why he has to pay versus the payment itself. Now, Rab Chaim has a different approach to explain this machlokas between the Rambam and the Ravid. And uh, he points to a different Rambam in Hilchus Chovel Omazik Perik Dalad Halachi Dalid. The Rambam rules that a man who injures his daughter has to pay tsar, the pain, the ripui for her healing, uboshas, and for the embarrassment. Now, the Ravid questions this too, and he says, You only have to pay the embarrassment when he damages her. But he doesn't have to pay the embarrassment of because this father could marry her off to whoever he wants. He could marry her off to the most disgusting or the most damaged person. And that would be certainly embarrassing for her. So the father who is Ma'anis or Mefata, the daughter, would not have to pay Boshes because he's able to anyway embarrass her. He has the rights, so to speak, to embarrass her. So he doesn't have to pay if he does pray 
practically embarrass her. So the Ravid is limiting the Psak of the Rambam that a father has to pay his daughter for embarrassing her, that it's only when he damages her, because he doesn't have that right. But if he would do it through Onus or Pitui, since he has the right to marry her off to whoever, he doesn't have to pay that embarrassment. Now, the Magid Mishnah asks a simple question on the Ravid, and that is that the Halacha is when a father is Onus or Mefata, his daughter, he doesn't have to pay anything because he's going to get killed. We have a principle of Kamle Bidrabamine that if you're going to get killed for this sin, then a person doesn't have to pay because we always give the worse punishment. We don't give the lower punishment. Uh, and this is explicit in Ksubis and Lamed Vav. The Mishnah says that Habal Bito, someone who comes on his daughter, doesn't have to pay. Because he's going to get killed. So what is the Ravid talking about that for Onus or Pitui of one's daughter, he has to pay other things except for Boshas? So the Magin Mishnah says that we have to change what the Ravid said over here. He's not talking about this halacha in the Rambam. He's actually referring to the one right before it, where the Rambam said that if someone damages a girl, the boshas and the tsar, the embarrassment and the pain, goes to herself, not to her father. And on that is what the Ravid is limiting it, and he's saying that's only if they damage her, that type of embarrassment goes to herself, not her father. But if they're ma'anes or mefata her, so then the Boshas and the Tsar goes to the father because he could have inflicted that same embarrassment and pain on her legally by marrying her off to someone who's disgusting. So in that case, the Ravid is not talking about a man who's Manus or Mephata, his daughter himself. He's talking about someone else who does it, but he's saying that in that case, the father gets the Boshas and the Tsar. Now, Rab Chaim says that the problem with this Magid Mishnah's reading of the Ravid is that the Rambam himself in Hilchus Naira Basula already said that in a case of Onus and Mephata, the Boshas and the Tsar belong to the father. So when the Rambam writes in Chovel Umazik that she herself gets the Boshas and the Tsar, it's very clear that he's only talking about when someone damages her, when they injure her. And that's obvious because the Rambam in Helchus Nair Besula talks about the cases of Onus and Pitui, when someone forces themselves or seduces a girl. And in Chovel Umazik, he's talking about someone who injures someone. So that distinction is very clear in the Rambam. And uh, there's no reason for the Ravid to be disagreeing with the Rambam as if the Rambam doesn't hold that the Boshas and Tsar of Onus and Mephate go to the father when the Rambam himself in Hilchus Nair Basula said it explicitly. So Reb Chaim explains that the, the reason why the Rive is making a big deal here is because there's actually two different types of situations that we could have when it comes to Onesum Efate. The first one is the classic case where someone actually was Ma'anesum Efate, a girl. They have all the Chiyuvim of Ma'anesum Efate. They had Bia, they had relations with her. And in that situation, it's very clear. The Gemara in Ksubis Andaf Mem learns it out from the Psukim of Tachzashar Ina and Ashochid Ima that the Boshas and the Pegam goes to the father, not the daughter. And that's exactly what the Rambam in Hilchus Naira Basula ruled that in a classic case of Onesum Efate where there was Bia, and there's all the Chiyuvim of Ones and then the father gets the Boshas and the Pegam. But there's another form of Boshas and Pegam for someone who forces themselves on a girl or is Mefate a girl, and that's where there isn't the Halachas of Ones So it was a case of Ma'anes or Mefate. They behaved in those inappropriate ways, so they're going to be punished. They have 
to pay, but it does not have the full halachas of Onesumifata. And what would that be? So Rab Chaim explains that would be if they were Mishamish with an Aver Mace. If they had relations with this girl, but they were not aroused, they did not actually do the act of Bia. So in that case, there is the punishment of Ma'anesumifata. They did those types of things. They have to pay. But we don't have the halachas of Ma'anesumifata. We can't apply it because it was not a full act of Bia. So now this is an interesting type situation. It's somewhat in the middle. It's a case of Ma'anesumifata, but it's also really a regular act of injury. They're paying because of the halachas of Chovel Umazik because they injured someone else, but not because of the Ma'anesumifata halachas. So this middle of the ground case, according to Rab Chaim, is going to make sense of a lot of this. Now, Rab Chaim wants to prove that this Mishamish Mace case does not have the halachas of Onesumifata, and he says that it would follow the general rules of Arayos and Chayve Lavin, people that are prohibited to have relations, if they have relations with an Aver Mace, so then they're not obligated, they don't get punished for it. So in the same way, he says that we should also not consider it a Ma'anis or a Mefata, and he has some proof from the Gemara for this, the Gemara in Ksubis on Daflamid Beis asks on the Mishnah, which says that you have to pay a fine if someone is Ma'anis Amam Zeris, someone who is prohibited to him. So the Gemara asks, well, he's going to get punished, he's going to get whipped, and like we said before, if you get a worse punishment, you don't have to pay. So why is he paying? And Andaf Lamed Hay, the Gemara asks the same question according to Rabbah, who holds that the, in this situation of a knas, even if someone's getting the death penalty, they would have to pay. So the Gemara wants to know who the Mishnah would be like. And it says that the, he must hold like Rabbi Yochanan, who holds that if someone's getting whipped, they would have to pay. So uh, says Rabbi Chaim, we have this big issue that the Gemara keeps raising. Why does someone have to pay if they're getting worse punishments? So the simple answer would be that we're talking about Mishamish Mace. In that situation, they're not going to get killed. They're not going to get whipped. They're not getting a worse punishment. And they still have to pay. So why doesn't the Gemara just say the case of Mamzeres, very simply, where someone was Ma'anis, a Mamzeres, but it was with an Aver Mace. So in that case, there's no worse punishment. There's just payment. Says Rabbi Chaim, must be that the Gemara understands that if there was Aver Mace, then there isn't even a Knas. So this is a proof positive that in a case of Aver Mace, just like we say that they don't get punished with the worst punishments of whipping or death, so then they also don't have to pay Knas. It's not considered a classic case of Ma'anis or Mefata. So that's Rabbi Chaim's proof to that. Now, this raises the question here, when we have a case where the person did the behavior, the action, of Ma'anasumafata, so they have to pay based on that. But they're not paying because of Ma'anasumafata. They're paying because it's a regular case of damaging someone. So who gets the Boshas and the Pagam in that case? Do we say that since it was the same action as Ma'anasumafata, the father should still get it like he would in other cases of Ma'anasumafata? Or since the root of the obligation here is regular Chavala, it's regular injury, so then the daughter should get it like she gets. It's a regular Chavala. So this middle case, it's not clear who should get the Boshas and the Tsa'ar, the father or the daughter. So Rab Chaim says that this issue is going to depend on what the reason that the father gets the Boshas and the Tsar is. If we say that it's because the Torah said that in a case of Ma'anas or Mefata, the person has to pay the father, not the daughter, so then that's going to be limited to cases which are ruled in accordance with the laws of Ma'anas or Mefata because they fall under that category. But once we take it out of that category and we say that it was an Aver Mace, so it's not a regular Ma'anas or Mefata, it doesn't have those halachas, and the proof is because 
because he doesn't have to pay the knas, as Rab Chaim showed from the Gemara. So once we remove this case from the category of Ma'anis Umifata, then the father loses his rights to the Boshes and the Tsa'ar, and we would judge those in accordance with all regular halachas of Chavala, where the daughter gets them, and therefore she would get them in this case too, even though it's basically a case of Ma'anis Umifata, but since it doesn't have those halachas, the daughter gets them. But if we say that the reason the father gets the Boshes and the Tsa'ar is because he could anyways give her to a man who's disgusting or ill. So he's able to inflict a tremendous Boshes and Tsar. So that's why he has the rights to those damages. So then it's going to apply in any case which has to do with Bia, where the harm was inflicted through Bia, regardless of whether it fully matches up with the Ma'anas and Mefata or it falls into that category. Anything which comes about as a result of Bia, the father has the rights to it because he would have been able to inflict this. So in this case of an Aver Mace, where it actually is not real Ma'anas and but since it's close enough to Ma'anas and it's an act of Bia which created the obligation so then the father has the rights to it and he would get it unlike regular cases of Chavala which are not from Bia where the daughter gets the Boshas and the Tsar but anything which has to do with Bia the father gets it because of this added reason that he has the rights to it since he's able to inflict it himself. It's worth pointing out, Rab Chaim adds in one throwaway line that the reason why Mishamesh with an Aver Mace is not considered nothing maybe it's not even considered an act of Bia so he says that wouldn't be true because that type of bia does prohibit her from eating truma if her father's a Kohen. So the fact that it accomplishes something, it, it changes her status in some way, means that it is a bia. So basically, Reb Chaim saying that this case of Mishamish Mace is considered an act of bia, and the proof is because it would invalidate her from eating truma. But it's not considered ma'anas and and the proof is that he wouldn't have to pay a knas in that type of case. So it's somewhere in the middle, and that's why it's a good test case to see, is it based on the fact that he was ma'anas and with all those halachas, or iboi that the father could have done whatever he wanted. So now, having established all this, says Rab Chaim, we understand what the Ravid was disagreeing on the Rambam. Not like the Magid Mishnah that he's disagreeing in a case where another man was Ma'anis or Mafata, the girl. He's talking about where the father himself was Ma'anis or Mafata, the daughter. And in that case, the Ravid is saying that he doesn't have to pay the Boshas and the Pegam, even though it sounds like there are other things he would have to pay his own daughter. What about the Magid Mishnah's question that it's Kamle bid since he's getting killed in this case, he shouldn't have to pay at all. Says Rabbi Chaim, the Ravid is talking about an Aver Mace, where they had Bia, which was not considered a full Bia. So in that case, the father is not going to get killed, but he still has to pay like any other damage. Says the Ravid that you would think that since this is not a real case of Ma'anis and maybe the daughter should get the Boshas and the Pagam herself. So the Ravid says, no, the father still would get it. That's why he doesn't have to pay. Uh, because he has the right to inflict this on her. And therefore, anything which comes from an act of Bia, the father gets himself. And if he himself does it, then he doesn't have to pay. So that's the explanation of the Ravid's disagreement with the Rambam. He's adding on to the Rambam that we have to be aware of this reason of Iboi Masr Lalam Nuval Mukeshrin, that the father has the rights to it, to include any act of Bia 
even where he's not going to get punished with death, he still does not have to pay the daughter, the boshas, and the pigah. Now, what does the Rambam hold here? Why doesn't he make any mention of this approach of the Ravid? So, says Rab Chaim, we could say simply because the Gemara didn't mention it, and the Rambam sticks pretty carefully to what was in the Gemara. So, maybe the Rambam doesn't fundamentally argue on the Ravid. He's he just not including things which were not mentioned in the Gemara explicitly. Or, says Rab Chaim, that it could be that there's a fundamental dispute between the Rambam and the Ravid. He disagrees with the Ravid's approach because he holds that the father gets the Boshas and Pegam because the Torah said that the payment should be given to him, but not that he fundamentally owns it. None of this business that the father could inflict it on her so he has the rights to it. It's just the halacha that even though she has the rights to it, but the Torah said that the father collects it. And Rab Chaim says that this approach seems to be the Shittas HaRambam in Nehel Chusnar Besula, Perak Beis, Halacha Yudalid. The Rambam says, Shlosha Devarim Shal Mephatav Arba Shal Ones, the three things of Mephatav and the four of the Ones, Harei Hain the father gets them, because any benefit, any financial gains which the daughter gets when she's young, before she leaves the father's authority, all go to the father. So the Rambam seems to imply that the whole halacha of Ma'anis Mefateh is part of this broader halacha that the father has financial rights to anything his daughter earns when she's a young woman. And as part of that, he gets the Ma'anis Mefateh, not the Ravid's idea that the father intrinsically owns it because he could do what he wants and it's fundamentally his. But the Rambam holds that really it belongs to the daughter. The money is owed to the daughter, but like any Anything which she earns during those years before she becomes an adult with her own authority, the father is going to get them. And the same is true for anything with Ma'anis or Mefateh. So now to backtrack, according to this approach, the Rambam is actually going to disagree with the Ravid's case. If a father was Ma'anis or Mefateh, his daughter, with an Eber mace, so he's not going to get killed in that case. He doesn't get the ultimate punishment. He has to pay. And the Boshas and Pegam would actually go to the daughter like a regular case of injury. If someone injures the daughter, then she gets it. That's the one thing the father does not get from her financial gains is things that came about as a result of her injury. So in this case, the Boshas and the Pagam from a Mishamish mace that the father forced on his daughter would belong to the daughter, unlike the Ravid's Psak. Now, having established this machlokus between the Rambam and the Ravid in Hilchus Chovelumazik, says Rab Chaim, coming back to our Rambam and Ravid in Hilchus Narabesula, we can explain the machlokus here differently than the Kesef Mishnah. Based on this exact same machlokus between the Rambam and the Ravid, does a father get his daughter's boshes because he fundamentally owns it? Or does the daughter fundamentally owns it, but the Torah said that the father can collect it? So if we apply this back into our case of Naira Besula, so the Kesef Mishnah explained in the Rambam that when a girl demands the money of Ma'anis and he only admits to part of it for Mefateh, that's still considered a modeb emiktas, even though the father would practically get the money, because the source of the obligation is the girl. Fundamentally, it was all owed to the girl, and therefore, when we evaluate it with regards to the dispute between the girl and this man, so he's admitting to half of it and denying half of it, which is a modeb emiktas. But says Rab that only works if we understand that fundamentally the girl is owed the money and the father just collects it because the Torah said that he's going to get the money. And that is the Shittas HaRambam that he just established in Choval Umazik that fundamentally all of these things are owed to the daughter, but it's Shevach Neurim, it's a financial gain that she gets, so the father gets it 
as the second step of the process. So that's why the Kesef Mishnah's explanation that this is a mode of amiktsas because the girl is demanding everything and getting admitted to that half of it is owed makes sense because the Rambam holds that fundamentally the girl gets all the payment. But according to the Raivit, as Rab Chaim established it, he disagrees fundamentally on this idea and he holds that when it's damage which was inflicted through an act of Bia, then fundamentally the father owns it. So according to the Raivit, it's not a two-step process that the girl is owed the money and then it goes to the father, but rather it's that the father is owed the money to begin with. And therefore, when the daughter demands the money and the man denies to the daughter, he's not dealing with the person who actually is owed the money. He's dealing with the daughter, but fundamentally the father owns the rights to this money. So that's why the Raivid says that in that case it's not a motive in Mixas because the person he's dealing with and admitting to that he owes half of it is not the same person who's actually owed the money and that's not a case of motive in Mixas. And this also works in the second reading of the Raivid where he says that the daughter always collects the tsar. So in that situation there's a fundamental difference that the father gets the boshas and the pagam and the daughter gets the tsar. But that's a fundamental distinction. It's not just a practical one. So when he admits to owing the Boshas and the Pagam, he's only admitting to what he owes the father, but he's totally denying what he owes the daughter. So Rab Chaim's reading here is going to explain the Machlok between the Rambam and the Raivid, which is that according to the Rambam, only Onus Umefate go to the father, because the Torah said that he collects those, but any case of regular Chavala does not belong to the father, even if it came about through Bia. So that's why in this case, it actually is a Motive Mikzas, because when the daughter makes the demand, she is the one who fundamentally has the rights to it. Whereas the Raivid views this differently that any action which comes about through an act of Bia, that type of injury, whether it's Onus Mufata or not, always goes to the father because he fundamentally owns it since he could have inflicted that damage himself. So it was his right to inflict that damage. And that's why the Raivid says it's not a motive of Mikzas here because he's dealing with the daughter, but the father is actually owed the money. So that's Rab Chaim's interpretation of their decision. Here. Now, it's worth just reviewing because it is very similar to the Kesef Mishnah's reading or the way Rab Chaim interprets the Kesef Mishnah. So it's just worth reviewing the difference. According to the Kesef Mishnah, the Machlokas is when we evaluate whether it's Motabimiktsis, do we look at the payment, who that's going to go to, or the source of the obligation of this payment? And Rab Chaim's formulating this Machlokas a bit more nuanced. It's the similar approach, but Rab Chaim saying that everyone, the Rambam and the Raivit, agree that we have to look at the source of the obligation, but they have a machlokas, which also appears in Chovolumazik, with regard to a father collecting the boshas and the tsar and the pegam from acts which injure her that come about through Bia, does that fundamentally belong to the father or does that belong to the daughter? So that's the key issue that Rab Chaim is raising when it comes to Boshas and Pagam and Tsar from acts of Bia, which don't fall under Ma'anes Umifate, do they fundamentally belong to the father or do they belong to the daughter like other cases of injury? And the one minor issue that Rab Chaim also touches on is when someone is Mishamish Mace, so they don't have a regular act of Bia, so they don't get punished for that. They won't get killed or whipped if they do an Isser through that. But how do we evaluate that? So Rab Chaim has a middle-of-the-road approach that it is considered a Bia, and the proof is that she can't eat Truma. But when it comes to Onus and Mifata, she he doesn't have to pay a Knas because it doesn't fall under those categories. 
Noom Weight uses psychology to help people everywhere learn about their eating habits. Eating is my love language? Yep, sure is. Ah, uh, I say yes to seconds out of guilt. It's hard to say no to Aunt Jenny's banana pudding. Wait, I do what? Oh, fog eating happens to everybody. What the? We know. It can be a lot to take in, but with the help of Noom Weight, you'll learn the psychology behind your eating habits, how to change them, and get closer to reaching your weight loss goals. Sign up at Noom.com.